Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to start in verse number 15. <clears throat> he says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that this morning you will strengthen us. There are many here today, Lord, who even testified before the services that they feel that they are under attack from the wiles of the devil. Lord, I pray that you'll strengthen all of us during this time of feasting upon your word. Be with those who are hurting this morning due to the loss of their loved ones. But Lord, may we uh, stand firmly upon your word, not wavering, understanding that everything that happens in this world is sovereignly under your control. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. Be with them next door, Lord. If there be anyone in this building this morning lost and on their way to hell, Lord, we pray that you do something that only you can do. Awaken their spirit. Make them see that they're dead in trespasses and sins and draw them unto yourself. We give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. We've come to the last portion that pertains to the Christian's walk. We said that in the first two chapters, really the first three chapters of Ephesians that uh, Paul focuses on the beliefs of the believer. But here in chapter 4, he focuses on the practice. In order for a believer to have a practice, he must first have beliefs. He must first understand the word in order to follow the word. If he doesn't understand it, then what indeed is he going to follow? So he lays out the structure of what we believe and who we are in Christ. But over the last several weeks, Paul continually brings the believer back to how they should walk. Now again, here in the closing portion of dealing with the believer and his walk, Paul again says, See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Paul brings us really back to the same thoughts that we've seen in verses 1 when he says, Be ye therefore. That is the same root word in what he says here in verse 15 when he says, See then. It is saying, Seeing then. It's the same as therefore. It infers a logical term of conclusion has been reached. It is to say that the information that has been presented previously should now cause you to behave this way. So he says, seeing then that ye 
walk circumspectly, not as fools. So seeing that what we have previously seen should cause us to walk circumspectly. Well, what did we just previously see? What we just previously seen is what we covered last week, that we are children of light. And that we are called to walk as children of light. In verse number 11, he says, not only we are to walk as children of light, but he says that we are to have no fellowship with darkness. As a matter of fact, you could just pause on that for a moment. Paul doesn't say, sometimes it's good to have fellowship. Sometimes you should have fellowship with light. No, there's no question or gray area to this. He says, and have no fellowship with darkness. Since we understand that, and we closed out last week looking at what he says in verse number 14, where he calls for the believer to wake up. Awake thou that sleepest. Wake up and see where you are. Wake up that you're called to be a children of light. Wake up and see the path you're on. Even more, he says, not only are we called to wake up and see that, uh, uh, that, that those who are struggling, those who are lagging, he says, wake up, arise from the dead, and Christ will give thee light. Really, the whole entire chapter of Ephesians chapter 5 is an encouragement for Christians to get to a place where they stop just carrying their Bible and they get to a place where their Bible's carrying them. That everything that we experience in this life is how we conduct ourselves in the experiences of this life is rooted in this word. It is to say that God did not just send his Son to suffer, to be beaten, to, to bleed and to die so that you could just say a little prayer and then go back to living in darkness. He'll challenge that in this text that we're studying this morning. He'll say, that's senseless. It's ridiculous. That God would do all of that so you could continue to dwell in darkness. So he tells us this morning to walk circumspectly that's the challenge seeing everything that we've just seen in the previous verses that we're to walk with the light that we are to be wise that we're to wake up now he says now that you're awake now that you understand that you're children of light walk circumspectly not as fools but wise i watch this youtube channel from time to time and it's a, it's, a t it's a channel dedicated to situational awareness. It, it is how incidents uh, occur and how they unfold and how you prevent yourself from ever finding this situation, yourself in this situation. Well, most of the time in the videos that happen there on this YouTube channel, about 95% of the time, these incidences that unfold that are tragic seem to always happen in Sao Paulo, Brazil. I don't know what's going on there. I just don't want to go there. But all the houses in Sao Paulo, Brazil have these huge walls around them. Not only do they have huge walls around them, but they have these cameras. And, and at the top of the walls, they have crushed glass. And then on top of the crushed glass, they have this barbed wire. Several months ago, 
I'm watching this YouTube video, and as this violent act is unfolding, the camera is recording it, and as this situation's unfolding, here on top of the wall that's covered in glass with the barbed wire, come walking across the top of the wall is a cat. I was mind blown that this cat is just going across the top of the wall. Nothing's happening to him. Every step it takes, no harm at all. Just seemed to blow my mind. But that's exactly what Paul is emphasizing when he says, walk circumspectly. You see, the cat was able to maneuver across the wall, through the glass, through the barbed wire, because it was walking precisely. It was walking exactly. So when Paul says us, tells us to walk circumspectly, not as fools but wise, it is to say that as we navigate through this wicked world, that it is possible to, to navigate through all of the dangers. It is possible to navigate through all of the things that stand to afflict us if we will just walk circumspectly, wise, precisely, cautious, taking every step and not find ourselves caught up in the snares of the devil. So he says, walk circumspectly, not as fools, but wise. I couldn't help but to think about, because we're headed to camp next week, my mind has been reeling about all the past camp experiences. We used to go to this place called Camp Caleb. Many of you probably remember that. But when we would go to Camp Caleb, they had this event there that you would do. It was called the blob. You would jump from this high scaffolding and hit this balloon and launch somebody on the other side of the balloon into the water. But one of the things that they would always remind you about is look before you leap. Because if you didn't look before you leaped, you would find yourself being shot backwards and end up underneath this huge blob in panic. Paul is saying that the wise people, they look before they leap. They look before they take the next step. But look what he says here. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. He gives us the negative and then the positive. He says the negative is not as fools. That is to say that is in the direct opposite of walking circumspectly. Fools do not look where they go. They just leap. They're not wise about the next step they take because they really don't care how it turns out. They live their lives according to their own emotions and they don't pay any careful attention at all. He gives no thought to the next step or even how this matter will turn out. But that's not how the believer walks. We walk wisely, circumspectly. But notice what he says here in verse 16. We have one reason here about why this wise behavior uh, is called for in the life of the believer. He said that we walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, because we're trying to do something. What is it that we're trying to do? We're trying to redeem the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time gives us this definition of to buy up something. 
is that we're trying to buy up time and use the time that we have to walk circumspectly because the days are evil. Even more, it's what it's saying that this word time is not to say in the Greek when we say the word time, when we're referencing seconds, minutes, or hours, we use the Greek word chronos. That's not the word that's being referenced here. When he says redeeming the time, Paul is referencing the word keros. Keros is opportunities, situations, moments. Redeeming these opportunities, these situations that we, these moments that we have because the days are evil. So it is to say that we're redeeming opportunities that we experience in this life to bring glory to his name. It is also to say that God puts keros, events, opportunities, situations, moments in your specific life that only you will experience so that you can use this opportunity, though it may be bad for his glory. Meaning, you may have a doctor's visit next week that I may never have. You may encounter someone because of your trade that I may never encounter. So when Paul is challenging the Ephesians and the reader and the hearer, he says, redeeming the time, he's calling for us for, to buy up the opportunities, the situations, and the experiences that we experience in his life and bring those moments, those opportunities in our life for God's glory. Redeem these moments. Why? He's saying, use the situations that you experience. Use the moments that you experience. But then he gives us a reason. The reason that we redeem these moments is because the days are evil. John chapter 9 and verse 4 reminds us when the Lord was talking, he is speaking to the disciples and challenging them and telling them why he works, why he's laboring. He reminds them that he's laboring, but he also says, I labor because there is a day, there is a time coming when no man shall labor. He was reminding them and calling them to labor in the opportunity time that they have now. Now, we understand that inside of Kairos, there is Kronos, meaning that the opportunities that we experience in this life are operating within a time that we have. But the reminder is that we won't always have time. We won't always have the opportunity. We won't always have the time to do this. To, it may be that your time may come to an end, or it may be that your time with this person may come to an end. But the Lord says that, in John chapter 9 and verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. This is constantly reminded to us throughout Scripture. We're constantly called to labor for the Lord. We're constantly called to preach the gospel to others. And we're constantly reminded that there is a time when all of this will come to an end. God told Noah to build an ark. But even in Noah's life, there came a time when God shut the door 
And all those who were entered in the ark were safe, and everyone who was outside of the ark faced eternal destruction. Even more, we're reminded in Matthew chapter 25 and verses 18 through 20 there when we read the account of the five foolish virgins who ran out of oil, and the bridegroom came, and they were shut out of the feast. Even more, we're reminded of one of the most Tragic stories of a wasted opportunity in Scripture when we read about Judas. Three and a half years Judas was around the Lord, seen him work, all of these mighty miracles, and yet Judas wasted the opportunity to see Christ as Savior and therefore died hopeless, without hope. And even more today, Paul is challenging us to stop wasting opportunities. We People today are backslidden on the Lord. People today have decided that they are satisfied with comfort Christianity. Week after week, they arrive in the service. They hear the message, they hear the words, but they do not seize the opportunity to make things right with God. They seem to pass the opportunity to stay in their sins. Week after week, people come to the house of God. They hear their condition without Christ, that they're dead in trespasses and sins, and unless they repent of their sins and place their faith in Jesus Christ, they will spend eternity in devil's hell. But yet, they don't seize the moment. They don't repent of their sins. They don't place their faith in Jesus Christ. And again, this is what Paul is saying, redeeming the time. Seize the opportunity. Buy up the moment. Get things right with God. And every opportunity after that, use it for God's glory. This is the challenge to the Ephesians, to walk circumspectly, to redeem opportunities, to seize opportunities, to not waste moments in our lives, to not waste opportunities in our lives to bring glory to his name. So Paul says, walk circumspectly while you can walk. Use the moments for his glory because one day God is going to shut the door. And so we are challenged to use every chance we get because the days are evil. Buy up opportunities because it's a, well, oftentimes because it's a, a conjunction. It serves as a term of explanation of why we're redeeming the time. Why we're trying to use these Moments that we have, why we're trying to use these opportunities that we have. The reason is because the days that we live in are evil. Notice also here, when he tells us this, he says, redeeming the time because the days are evil. This is in the present tense. The days are evil. The days were evil at the time of the Ephesians. The days were evil after the time of the Ephesians in the Days are still evil today. It's not that some days are good and some days are bad. Paul's diagnosis of the world today without Christ is that those who are living in sin, the, the, the days are evil, all of them. Even more, it's 
really God's assessment on Genesis chapter 6, and there was only evil continually. Now, when Paul, you can remember this, when we first started talking about the setting for the Ephesians. The setting for the Ephesians was that they had Diana there. They, uh, pornography was mighty in this place. There was uh, a prostitution was a form of idol worship. I mean, it was really a society that was, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. This word evil comes from the Greek word pornea. He said, redeeming the times because the days are pornographic. Meaning the days in which they were living in, people were doing everything to satisfy their own lustful desires. We just got out of a month that celebrated that. He said, the days are... They're, they're covered in sexual immoralities. These events, these people who live in this time. Look, listen what he says. Redeeming the time, buying up these opportunities because the days are evil. This ought to do something to believers. It ought to in verse number 17, wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding the will of the Lord. What the will of the Lord is. See that connection. Buying up, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, he says, because the days are evil, he says, wherefore, Wherefore what? What's it there for? What are we speaking of? We're speaking because the days are evil. It ought to propel the believers to be not unwise. Great. So what is it going to look like for a believer to be wise? A believer to be wise is going to be one who finds out and understands what the will of the Lord is. This word unwise is to say, in another way, the definition is senseless. He says, be not senseless that we carry in our own hands the words of the omniscient, omnipotent creator of the entire universe. Don't be so senseless that you forget that's exactly what you're carrying in your hands. Don't be so senseless that you forget now, our confession is that at salvation, the Holy Spirit has now taken up residence in us. And now that he's taken up residence in us and that uh, we say this confession, don't be so senseless that we fail to read his word to find out what his will is for us in our lives. Oftentimes, to our own failures, believers will challenge their children to Learn business practices so that they will grow up and be great businessmen. Great businesswomen. They'll challenge their children to grow up and study medicine, to study chemistry, to study physics, to learn business because there is a high emphasis put on this in our world today. This will make you wise. 
And yet while we challenge our children to go on to college to be great successes in this land, we minimize the great truth. And the great truth is the omnipotent, omniscient creator of the entire universe left the book for you to study. And if you will study it, you will be wise. But if you do not study it, Paul said you will be unwise. We have to learn to teach our children. We have to learn to teach ourselves that we'll spend up all night studying a book that will help our job, that will help our trade. Yet, but the calling, the God who called us out of darkness and called us into marvelous light has left us a word of truth for us to encourage us, to navigate us in this life. And we don't find any interest at all for it in our lives. This is confusing. This is confusing. It is Paul to say, you found yourself in a situation where you are behaving unwise. You could probably say that there is no, no, you can't probably say, you can say. There is no greater privilege you have in your life than to read God's word, period. It's the greatest privilege you get to act upon every day, that you could understand what God has for you. There's no greater privilege that we have to even to communicate with God. The average church attending professing Christian, to be honest with you, knows very little about the Bible. Most, well, I could tell you, I know a guy that comes to mind, not to share his name, but professes to know Christ. Can quote statistics for basketball and baseball for the last four years. He could tell you what color uh, Pete Rose socks was in the World Series but can't quote two or three Bible verses. This is confusing. This is confusing that we would give our time and studies to the things of the secular world, but not to the word of God. So he says, wherefore be ye not unwise and understand what the will of the Lord is for your life. Verse number 18 takes us a little further. I don't know if you've ever bought a new vehicle or what you would consider a new vehicle to you. My wife and the ladies just went out on this ladies event and I'm getting messages on my phone about how she just loves Sister Green's van. She actually told me that she liked one of the reasons she liked it because it has a lot of buttons. I offered her to buy her some buttons for her van. (laughs) But the trip the longer she was in the van, the more she seemed to fall in love with the van. The more she rode in it, the more she could see herself in it. She texted me and finally said, okay, the next vehicle we get, let's get one like theirs. Now, you see what happened here over this couple-hour trip, right? The more she was in it, the more she enjoyed it. The more she enjoyed it, the more she could see herself in one. The more she could see herself in one, she says, this is the greatest ever. I present to you this morning, that is exactly the experience that we have in the word of God. 
oftentimes people don't see the value of the word of God because they ain't in it. If you would get in it, you would start to enjoy it. And the more you would start to enjoy it, the more you would stay in it. And the more you'd stay in it, the, you could never envision yourself being outside of it. So Paul here says, this is where we need to go. This is the path we're on. How do we get there? James chapter 4 and verse 8, what does that tell us? Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. But the emphasis is, is that if you want to have a personal relationship with God, the step first relies upon you. Draw nigh to God, and God will draw nigh to you. But in verse number 18, Paul gives us this thought. He says, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. A man who is drunk has made a deliberate decision to drink. Fair enough. A man who is drunk not only made a deliberate decision to drink, but he made a deliberate decision to continue to drink. A man who is intoxicated has lost control of himself and is now under control of a substance in which he drank. We understand that. We see it. Come out and win place on a Friday night. You'll find out. But also we understand this. I've seen this with my own personal eyes. People who are the kindest people, they get to drinking and it changes them. Next thing you know, the kindest person in the world, they're ready to fight. When you see people under influence, I've seen this with my own eyes. Guys who were tough guys, they're over there crying in the corner because they're under the influence of this alcohol and it's changed them. I've seen people fight. The next morning they wake up sore and they don't even realize they were even in a fight. They don't even understand. You understand? But when they wake up the next morning, they're sober. And if they want to continue to be intoxicated, guess what they have to do? They have to start drinking again. To remain under the influence of this alcohol. So he says in verse 18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Can I tell you this morning that Paul has laid out the principles of what it takes to be filled with the Spirit. If you're going to be filled with the Spirit, it's going to take you coming to God's Word. If you're going to be filled with the Spirit, and by the way, I've seen people in the same manner, filled with the Spirit, who were at timid at times, and God had given them great boldness to preach His truth in a time that it was seen that there's no denying that the Spirit had poured out upon them. Being filled with the Spirit will take fishermen and make them apostles, make Pharisees apostles, change drunks into preachers, drug dealers into missionaries. Being filled with the Spirit. When a man is filled or a woman is filled with the Spirit, they are changed. They are under control of another but you know what else? You can be filled with the Spirit today and wake up tomorrow and be struggling. And you know what? If you want to be filled with the Spirit today, you're going to have to go back to the 
place where you get filled with the Spirit. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, you have to go back and, and saturate yourself again in, in God's Word as the alcoholic must return to the bottle to stay intoxicated. The believer must return to God's Word to continue to be filled with the Spirit. When you do that, he says, when, when the believer recognizes in order to be filled with the Spirit, you must continue to go back to God's Word. When a believer will, will commit themselves to studying God's Word, you will have a captivating discovery. This is when great things happen. I believe one of the reasons that so many Christians are dissatisfied with their Christian walk is because they're not engaging in the Christian walk. I would be dissatisfied if I had this great experience of the Lord saving me and then had no fellowship with him after that. So he says in verse number 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. He said when you're, when you're filled with the Spirit, you'll find yourself doing things that you did not formally do. When you're filled with the Spirit, you'll be speaking to yourselves in psalms. Psalms is music from the soul. I, I love the book of Psalms. It is music from the soul. It is situations that happened in different psalmists' life where God had delivered them and God had mightily worked, and it caused them to burst out in music. Now, even last week, I think it was Psalms 89 we looked at, 119.89. The psalmist burst into a song, praising and thanking God, not so much because of what God did to him, but he was thankful that he could survey the land and see that God's word was true. Psalms oftentimes are just uh, music of praise that... God's word is exactly what God's word says it is. He said, even more speaking, uh, even more, he says, speaking to yourselves in psalms. And he says, and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. This is music that lifts our heart in praise unto the Lord. This is music that lifts our hearts in joy unto the Lord. Do you see this? A spirit-filled life produces a heart that wants to praise God. Now, singing is from the scripture. It comes from a life that is filled with the spirit. But listen, let's put this on a worldly view. There are other singers in the world that sing way better than me. They are talented. But this is not about talent. This is not about ability. This is about desire. I oftentimes, whenever Brother Pearson is here, prod him and poke at him. This is our form of communication, of love. I poke at him for his singing. And he laughs and keeps on singing. The reason that he sings is not because he's been blessed with this amazing talent to sing. It's because we are witnessing a man whose 
has a spirit-filled life. Therefore, it's not about ability. It's about desire. When he comes here and he lifts up his voice, it's because inside of him there is a desire to praise and offer thanksgiving unto the God who saved him. Therefore, it is a testament here that when we arrive in the house of God, the most beautiful music is being lifted up, not about notes, not about ability, but that pouring out from each and every one of us is a heart that has been touched by God. And out of our hearts, we are lifting up praise unto a God who saved us. Paul said, this is what happens when you get around a bunch of spirit-feed people, they start to sing unto the Lord. He said, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Now, this is a challenging portion of this text. Notice again, verse 20, or 19 here. No, it is 20. Giving thanks always... For all things unto the Lord and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, when you get spirit-filled, when you are spirit-filled, not only are you going to offer up song and praise unto the Lord all the time. But, or excuse me, he'll offer up, not only are you going to offer up songs and praises, but this is going to be something that happens all the time. Notice what he says, verse 20, giving thanks. That's easy. Most of us can say, well, you know, well, at least once a day, I, I find myself thankful about something. I give thanks. But he takes it further. He says, giving thanks always. Well, you know, I give thanks. I, I try to think that in all, I'm always kind of thankful, but always that's, that's pushing it. Paul says a little, a little more. Giving thanks always, but then he goes on to say, in all things. But that's, this is really challenging. But this is the reality of a spirit-filled life. That a spirit-filled life is a life that is in the word, feasting upon the word, in all communication. And one of its manifestations is that we're overflowing with song and praise unto God. That's what hymns and worship is all about, praising God, edifying God, magnifying his name. He said, and another thing that happens when we live this spirit-filled life, we find ourselves being thankful always, even in all things. But he says a little more. Verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. That word submitting really to me is the explanation and how you make sense of verse number 19. Verse, nine, or verse 20, I mean, giving thanks always for all things unto God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves. Oftentimes, the reason that we don't have joy in our life about the things that we experience is because it's not our plan. 
This is not the way we planned it out. Matter of fact, this is not how we decided for our future to lay out. Oftentimes when I speak to my mom about the different things that she has going on, she said, this is not how I envisioned for my life to be at this age, walking with a cane or experiencing this. But the way that we stay thankful is that we recognize that this life is not your plan. We're submitting ourselves to God and understanding that everything that happens and we experience in our life is within his sovereign control. And we submit ourselves one to another here, um, one to another in the fear of God. We, we submit ourselves in a whole to God, recognizing the things that happen in our life is in his control. And we recognize the things that happen in our life is under his control. It makes it easier for us to understand how to give thanks for all things uh, always and in all things unto God because we recognize that God is working in our life. And why does this matter that he's working in our lives? Because in reverse, we submit ourselves to God so that in all things and all ways we can be thankful. And in reverse, even further, singing praises and hymns unto him and regardless of the situations. And we stay saturated in the spirit. Why? Because it all comes back to verse number 16, so that we can, well, verse 15, walk circumspectly so we can redeem the time because the days are evil, so that we can buy up these opportunities. If you go into the doctor's visit with gloom and despair and agony on me, you're not going to be a light to your physician. But if you show up at the doctor with joy in your heart, trusting that God is sovereignly in control, bubbling over because you are filled with the spirit, you will be a light in a dark place. If we will live a spirit filled life, we will be amazed about the light that we can be in these dark days. Present tense. Dark days today, dark days tomorrow. You see, no matter what you do tomorrow, the days are going to be dark tomorrow. No matter what you do two days from now, the days are still going to be dark. You notice that Paul doesn't challenge the days to, uh, to be daylight. He doesn't challenge the dark days to change their ways. He doesn't have to. The days will continue to be evil continually until the Lord pours out judgment upon this earth. The challenge is to the ones who are supposed to be the light, to be the light. So the challenge for all of us is when we leave here today, when we leave here today, no matter what we experience in our lives, submit ourselves unto the Lord that this is God's plan. Don't let your plan cross paths with God's plan. Don't find yourself bitter because something happened in your life and it wasn't exactly what you planned out. This isn't your plan. This isn't your playbook. But you do have a purpose in this play. And that's to be the light in the dark place. To edify the church. To bring glory to his name. So that the world may know about this great God who sent his son to suffer, bleed, and die on Calvary's cross. So that we could have the imputed righteousness of God upon us so that we could stand justified before God. 
and spend eternity in a place called heaven. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity again to be in your word. Every week, really, for the last several weeks, I found myself challenged to walk circumspectly, to walk in the worthy of the vocation in which we are called, to walk in the light. Lord, I pray that you'll help us in this day to walk as we should. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. Lord, I pray that you'll be with those who are here in the building today. Lord, if there be someone who's backslidden on you, that they seize the opportunity to make it right. If there's someone in the building who's lost, Lord, I pray that you, they'll seize the opportunity to come and repent of their sins and place their faith in you. Lord, if there's someone in the building who's under conviction about not giving themselves over to being in your word, Lord, I pray that you strengthen them and give them the dedication, the discipline to uh, make time to be in your word. We give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen. Hymn number 404.